you have your Bible, we're going to be in Hebrews 8, but it's going to be a few minutes before we get there, so uh, you can turn to Hebrews 8. Uh, You know we're in the middle of our series on stories, but uh, we're going to take a bit of a break for that. You might know Wednesday night, this Wednesday, is our covenant celebration. It's sort of an annual thing that we do to reaffirm, reestablish, reconnect, recommit all those re-words to, uh, to the covenant that God has placed us in here at, at North Church. Um, and so Dave and I thought it was a good idea to take a break from the story series and uh, talk a little bit about covenant because it's, covenant is kind of a, I think it's, a, it's kind of a, a church, churchy word, especially this age that we find ourselves in. Uh, we talk a lot and hear the word covenant a lot. Um, and a lot of times it's, it's really misunderstood. And so I want to spend some time this morning thinking about covenant and, and kind of defining covenant and then moving into a time where we think about why North Church has a covenant. And we'll talk about that and then we'll kind of conclude our time this morning looking at the Old Covenant and the New Covenant, which basically is the Old Testament and the New Testament or the old promise, the old way to get to God and the new way to do that. So... Um, I want to lay out first um, why we're here. We're, we're defining covenant because it's a really important thing. But also, as we, as we study covenant, here, here's the, the, the thing that is kind of uh, an indirect result. We, when we study covenant, we begin to understand the gospel in a deeper, different way. I've used this illustration before. Is uh, imagine we're looking at this this podium here. Um, I have this viewpoint. I can see what's in front of me here, and you can see what's on the back side of it. And it does me. If I'm trying to understand and look into to what this podium is, it's it's good for me to gain a different perspective of it and to to see it from every angle, not just this way, but up and down and all around and and beneath it and above it and and all those things. And so, the gospel is like that. It's, a, it's, it's this thing that is so many times we see on just a, a linear level or on a, on a two-dimensional level. And when we, we deeply study things like covenant and, and think deeply about things like covenant, we can, we can begin to see the gospel from a different perspective. And so we're not just defining covenant and talking about a North Church covenant. We are looking into the gospel this morning, probably in a way that maybe, maybe you haven't looked at it before, maybe you haven't looked at it in a long time, but ultimately I, I want that to be above us as we encounter this message that God has is, is brought to us today, that, that this is a chance to, to see and understand and define and, and get a handle on covenant, but at the same time, that can inform or give us a new perspective on the gospel. So I'm, I'm excited about that. So let's, let's define covenant uh, first. Covenant. And it's, I've got a strict definition we're going to talk about here and then kind of supporting statements uh, about what a covenant is. First, it is, uh, a covenant is an agreement or mutual obligation contracted deliberately and with solemnity to establish relationship or commonality. 
some, some big words there. But basically, we gather around a set of promises. A covenant is you and I enter into a covenant together. I make promises, you make promises, and those promises bind us together. Does that make sense? For us as North Church, the church covenant that we have, promises that show up in that document are made from the elders to the members and from the members to the elders. And the purpose of that is for us to go and be on mission together here in North County. And we'll talk more about the covenant that God made with his people. There's two of them, an old covenant and a new covenant. We'll talk about that as we, as we go along. So that's our, our working definition of a covenant. Two supporting statements here. It is a pulling in the same direction or promises that intend to be kept for the purposes of the relationship. When my wife and I got married, we made a covenant. We made promises to one another. And the promises that we made to one another are to protect and support and nurture that relationship. I said, I'm not going to engage or have any sort of emotional depth of activity or or sexual experiences with anybody else as a promise. And that promise was made to support and to nurture and to develop our relationship, our marriage. And so these promises, we can see that good in a marriage situation. It's, it's important for the relationship of the marriage for the husband and the wife to say, we will not commit adultery against each other. And if we break those promises, there's difficulty and hardship in that relationship. You follow that? That's why promises are made in a marriage because they support and nurture and, and help this relationship. So these promises are made for the betterment of that relationship. That's covenant. Second thing, it is a binding together of people for the purpose of the relationship or the common objective. And this this statement kind of galvanizes us together as a body. And I think you're beginning to, to see this happening a lot as we begin to branch out and reach out into North County and, and having more arms into the community where we are planting the gospel in this community, getting to speak it to our neighbors, getting to, 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 to do things like I Heart North County and, and the community garden and all those things, us beginning to, to plant the gospel. And so we gather in support of one another, making promises to each other, making promises to God, making promises to the elders of this church so that we can go on mission here in this community, in this area. That's covenant. So this is the the definition of, of this idea of covenant. As we will go on Wednesday and gather together and have a meal together and and have this covenant celebration where we say, yes, my presence here says to you that I'm behind you, I'm with you. God has me in this time, in this place with these people to be on mission here in this community. And this is what we are agreeing to, these set of of promises that we make to each other and, and to God. So this is our definition of covenant. And, and I hope that, that these phrases, these thoughts, these words, this message this morning can begin to allow our minds to drift towards the gospel and how these promises and, and, and this mission and who God is and the relationship that we have with him and he has with us are profoundly reinforced 
by this covenant or by this understanding, this idea of covenant. So transition into the, the second thought for us today. Why North Church has a covenant? What is the vision? What is the purpose? Why do we have a covenant? Uh, four things for you. First is to, to push you towards holiness. One reason that North Church has a covenant that we ask you to, if you want to be a member and connect deeply here, we ask you to read through and, and sign this covenant promises that you make to us as elders and, and elders make to you as members. Uh, we want you to, to do that, to engage that with us so that we can push you towards holiness. Um, basically making and, and the 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 stuff that's in that covenant bring us to a place where you are surrounded by like-minded people that are have a, a deep-rooted desire to be holy. And so if, if I'm here and I'm in, in, engaged in, in the same church, in the same covenant with, with Jeff, I know that Jeff has made promises and Jeff knows that I've made promises to desire to take seriously the things of God and to live a holy life. And so we then have given each other permission to push on each other, moving each other towards holiness. We covenant together so that we can nurture our relationship to become more holy, more Christ-like, less sinful. That's the, the purpose, one of the purposes of this covenant. Second is like-minded Christians making promises to each other and to God. Second purpose of the covenant is like-minded Christians making promises to each other and to God. This is the community aspect of why we're here. And I think back to uh, Forrest Gump. Forrest and Bubba are laying in the rain in the mud. You remember? And Bubba says to him, you lean against me and I'll lean against you. That way we don't have to sleep in the mud. Remember that scene? Right before that, Forrest has said, sideways rain. You remember that? He's talking about all the different kinds of rains. Get that picture in your mind. This is why we have covenant. We're making promises to each other for the sake of the relationship. Making promises to each other for the sake of the relationship. Vision. Get that picture in your mind of of Forrest and Bubba leaning against each other. The strength of Bubba is keeping Forrest's head out of the mud and vice versa. That's why we're here. That's why we're gathering around this covenant. You follow that? It's the purpose of it. Making promises to each other. I promise I'll be here. I'll be in support of you. And you promise to be here in support of me. Keeping each other's head out of the mud. Third, growing in the fruit of repentance and of spiritual growth. I want to read this to you. As we live life with North Church people, we know we are among a people who take seriously their relationship and desire to root out sin. We know that we are among a people who take seriously their relationship and desire to root out sin. Wednesday night, when you come to the, the covenant celebration, you are among people who take seriously their desire to root out sin in their lives. If you don't do that, please don't show up. All right? 
Don't come Wednesday night if, if you're not re- willing to take seriously your desire to root out sin in your life. Because we're dependent upon each other. And that fact brings us to a place where courage is placed within us to move towards this holiness of life, this depth of repentance. I'm more willing and able to repent of my sin and lay it out there. And so are you because we gather together with one another, understanding this is why we're here. Root out sin. Take it away. And I have more courage to, to, to come up to you and say, hey, I see this. You have more courage to come up to me and say, hey, I see this. Let's repent. Let's root this out. Again, promises that we're making to one another and to God for the purpose of the relationship. This isn't so that you and I can know each other's lives better. This isn't so that we can find each other's faults. This is so that we can have more beautiful, intimate communion with a holy God. That's the purpose. Don't mistake it. Fourth, this is a little bit longer, making promises and statements to each other that we gather around the truth of the gospel and invest our gifts, personalities, time, energy, money, and lives into the church. In short, we go on mission together. And I look around this room and I see vastly different personalities. Vastly different leanings. Some people want to engage the poor. Some people want to engage the lost. Some people want to nurture the soul of the Christian. Some people want to celebrate God, want to worship. And I'm thinking of individuals that are looking at me right now. These are the ways that God has has leaned you and directed you. But we all come together and gather under this roof for the purpose of planting the gospel in each other and in this community. In short, number four here is about being on mission together. Mission with all that we are, our gifts, our personality, our time, our energy, our money, and our lives. Invested for and into this church. And when I say church, I want to spend just a second defining that because it's not about North Church, it's not about her fame or people paying attention or the size of us or any of that stuff. It's about these people gathered in this time, in this place for these goals. First is to push one another towards holiness. We've talked about that. This is an interior thing. We gather together. We invest our time and our lives and our, and our money and, and our gifts and our talents and our energy and all those things together so that we can push one another towards holiness. This is an interior thing. Second is to plant the gospel in the community. And I love the fact that we've begun this community garden because that's a, a physical, tangible evidence of what God has called us to. We're planting Seeds. We're planting vegetables. We're planting fruit. We're planting things in there that will grow and the land will yield fruit. Ultimately, that's a picture of what God has called us to here. We are attempting to plant the gospel here and see a city, an area, a, 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 a 
a county, a state, changed because the gospel is planted. And it's starting planted inside of us. And then we're planting it inside of, of the people that we engage with and planting it inside of a, a community and to, to watch God make... It's, it's ridiculous to think that a little tiny seed we can put in the ground... Then water and dirt and stuff happens and it becomes food. It's it's absurd. But God has made a physical world to remind us of spiritual realities. And spiritual reality is that the gospel is the seed that he wants to expand into food that will nourish our souls. And so we get this community garden to watch that happen. If you're not involved, get involved. It's, it's great. And don't just grab a shovel. Pay attention to the, the spiritual principles that are at work. And all of this is gathered together so that we can plant the gospel in this community. And then last, to live lives of worship. We invest all that we are, all our time, our energy, our money, our, our resources, our lives into this place so that we can live lives of worship because he is holy and worthy. And all those things happen. And, and Dave came here and stood here, grabbed that mic and talked about the outpouring of love and support in a difficult time for him. And if, if you follow him on Twitter, that's, he posted seven or eight different things about that. And he sent me a bunch of text messages. I can't believe the support. It's unbelievable the support that God has placed on us. And I wanted to say, Dave, you know it's believable. You've experienced it your whole life. And what that does, as people invest in Dave and in Amy and in the Kuntz family, hearts are turned to worship. God, you've given us this. Thank you. How good of you to give these spiritually nurturing gifts to our hearts and to our souls. It's the point. I want to stop talking about us and start talking about God now. Talk about the old and the new covenants from Hebrews 8, 1 through 12. I want to read that passage for you. Hebrews 8, 1 through 12. Now the point in what we are saying is this. We have such a high priest, the one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places, in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Thus it is necessary for this priest to also have something to offer. Now if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all, since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law. They serve a copy and shadow of the heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God, saying, See that you make everything according to the patterns that was shown you on the mountain. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old, 
as the covenant he mediates is better since it is enacted on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would be no need, there would have been no occasion for a second. For he finds fault with them when he says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of Egypt. For they did not continue in my covenant, and I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my law into their minds and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach each one his neighbor, each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. For I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. This is the discussion of the old and the new covenants, and it's beautiful. I want to bring a couple of thoughts to light about this, this passage here. And we begin now to see the, the machinations of the gospel. We lift the hood of the car that is the gospel and look at the engine. This is the new covenant. The main difference between the old covenant and the new covenant is that in the new covenant, the obligations are solely on God and completed in Jesus. Our role is only a passive role. Do you understand that? We are we're entering into covenant to, towards one another. And the, the North Church covenant is the elders making promises to you and you making promises to the elders that bring us into relationship and further that relationship. In the new covenant, your role is a passive role. God has done all the work. Not God is doing all the work. God has done all the work in the person of Christ. The only role is to say, yes, I give, I surrender. The main difference in the Old and New Covenant is the obligations are solely on God. I have this on the screen so that we can see it clearly and don't be confused. What follows today, the rest of what we'll talk about is God enacting this covenant with you, a perfect and satisfying covenant. God enacting this covenant, making it alive, producing fruit inside of you through his covenant, through his covenant in which your role is, is merely passive. Just allow it to happen. And I got to watch. I, I went to visit Steve, Dave, and Amy's dad, laying there, stuff attached to him. He can't move. That's the picture here. The doctors come and they move him. They support him. They perform surgeries on him. They give him food, all those things. And Steve is passive. In the gospel, you are passive. God is active. Look at verse 2. Verse 2 says, In the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. A little Old Testament history for us here real quick. 
in the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, man was responsible for making sacrifices. The sacrificial system was in place to satisfy the wrath of God. The sacrificial system was in place and established a high priest. Every year on the Day of Atonement, the high priest would go in and make sacrifices, first for himself so that he could be clean, and then enter the Holy of Holies, this tent where they had to, to, to make this, these sacrifices. He would sacrifice for himself, and then he would go in and make sacrifices for all of God's people. And it was a tent that was made by man. The temple that was there was made by man. This is what this is talking about. In the old covenant, it's not as good because it was made by man. It was promises that were made by man. It were physical, tangible buildings, structures that were made by man. In the new covenant, the structures were made by God, not by man. is inside of each of us. It's not a place where we have to go. It's not a place that was built. It is placed in our souls by God. Verse 6 says, Christ has obtained a ministry that is much more excellent than the old covenant. The covenant he makes, he mediates, is better since it is enacted on better promises. John Piper says this, the first covenant was inferior mainly because it did not contain a divine guarantee that it wouldn't be broken. The new covenant has a divine guarantee that it won't be broken. Made by Christ, his finished work. Under the old covenant, man who was fallible and sinful could bring a finality to it. And we'll see that in a second when we read some more of this, this passage. Remember, a covenant is making promises to one another for the betterment of the relationship. And when those promises are broken, the covenant can be broken. And like our church covenant, there are a list of promises that are made from every member to the elders, from the elders to the members. And you can have confidence that the North Church members are making these same pledges with one another. And you can gather around these common purposes. But if they're broken relationships can be, can be damaged and, and difficulty can arise. Let's skip down to, to verse 8. And I want to talk about the, this, these verses. If you notice, if, you, if you're looking at your Bible, these verses are, are the typeset is, is off or different because he's quoting Jeremiah 31. So these words were uttered to God or by God, to Jeremiah, and Jeremiah to the people, in the midst of the old covenant, that there is a new covenant to come. And they finish, they are established in the work of Christ hundreds of years later. And Hebrews is written to a people who are very familiar with the Old Testament, the old covenant, with, with Jeremiah's words. So as the writer of Hebrews brings these words to light, they can reflect them on, oh yeah, my fathers, my grandfathers were, heard these words and now we get to experience the fullness of it, the, the fruit of it. Verse eight, for he finds fault with them when he says, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant. Again, 
words originally spoken by Jeremiah and now repeated by the writer of Hebrews to people who are experiencing this new covenant. Written, we can connect with that. I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. And here's the first and inferior covenant. For they did not continue in my covenant, and so I sowed, showed no concern for them. Old covenant, we're not passive. New covenant, we're passive. They did not continue my covenant, so I showed no concern for them. But God, in his rich mercy, does not end there. Verse 10, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. Here's the second and perfect covenant. I will put my laws into their minds. I will write them in their hearts, and they will be my God, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. What he is doing here, they will be my people. He is setting up the church global for all of history. He's setting up the church. When he says, they will be my people, he's saying, church. This is the church global. And Christ later says, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. This, they will be my people, is the church that Christ says, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Take courage, then, in these facts. Take courage with your role here. That God has, God has called you to this time and this place for these purposes with these people. And the gates of hell will not prevail against you. Take courage. Go plant your gardens. Go engage your neighbors. Go spur repentance in one another. Go worship the Lord together. Go to the hospital and take dinner to a family. Take courage. This is what God has called you to. So beautiful. My favorite movie of, of all time is Field of Dreams, and it was on late at night when my family was asleep, and I, I was watching it. And there's a scene in there. One of the guys, he's the, the doctor who becomes the, the young ball player, and when they kind of go back in time, he says, the most significant moments in our lives, we don't recognize them when they're happening. The most significant moments of your lives are not being, you don't recognize them when they're happening. A couple of times in the last 10 days, God has given an opportunity for me to speak that to people. There are times when God is intervening in our lives, showing us his power, his strength, his care, his steadfast love, that we aren't paying attention to it. I want to call attention to the fact right now God is showing you his purpose and his plan, his direction for your life. God has created the church to bring about these purposes in your life and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And we gather around the promises that God has made to us and we have brought those things together for this time and this place and this season to plant the gospel here to bring us to places of worship and to spur us towards holiness. That's why we're here, and the gates of hell will not prevail against us. Promises that God has made. 
Take courage. This idea that God has created a people, a church, that the gates of hell cannot prevail against is is powerful. They shall be my people. John Piper says, God has given the church to his son as a bride by a sacred marriage oath called the new covenant. And nothing will destroy this union. Man, that invokes worship and weeping and dancing, joy. God has given you to his son Christ as a bride for a sacred marriage. And that marriage is called the new covenant. And nothing can destroy that union. Let that just sit there for a minute. Verse 11. Second half of verse 11. For they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest. I want to say this. That just because I'm a pastor and I went to seminary and school and and I I study how to study and I, I study a lot and all those things doesn't give me any authority to understand or illuminate scripture any better than you do. Look at what this just says. For they shall all know me from the least to the greatest. From the least to the greatest, they will all know me. Here's the beautiful thing about this. We serve a knowable God. Separates us from every other religion. Our God is not far off. He is not removed. He is not distant. He is in us. He has written himself on our hearts. He has entered into our very beings. He has illuminated his word to us. And he has given us a gift called the church to, to make all this stuff clear to us. This is the covenant that God ordained, orchestrated, set up so that we could know him and he could know us. That's the purpose of this. God desires to know you. You serve a knowable God. If you sense distance between you and God, engage this church family. We want to show you that God is not distant, that he is knowable. He is here. He is within your reach. He has placed himself inside of you. You can know him from the least to the greatest. You can know him. Profoundly important idea. The last thing leads us to the final thought that he touches on in this new covenant. Verse 12. For I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. For I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. Stop remembering your sin. Lay it down. Lay it down. Lay it down. 
Do you hear me? So many times we lay it down and then we, we move around and we have this voice inside of our brains that tells us, reminds us of what we just laid down. And then we, we wind up mired there and we wind up just pouting there. God remembers them no more. And the reason is because he wants to know you. He wants to have intimate, communing fellowship of a relationship with you. Your role in this covenant is passive. God has forgotten your sins. Lay them down. Don't come back to them. They're defeated, gone, history, in the past. And we gather around that final promise to spur one another towards holiness, to plant the gospel in this community, and to worship a holy God. Let's pray. God, you are amazing and you are beautiful, and you have illuminated this idea, this concept of covenant inside of our hearts Father, I pray now for these people who have gathered on this day, Father, to not miss a significant moment that's happening in their lives where you are reminding them or telling them for the first time what church means, what the gospel is. God, I pray that even in these moments, maybe there's a repentance that needs to happen. Maybe somebody needs to grab someone and repent of sin among trustworthy people for the purpose of relationship with you. Maybe someone needs to repent of a wrong. God, you have established in our hearts forgiveness so that we can forgive. God, I pray that you would dwell among our hearts and our spirits in this place, in this time. God, we want to know you. God, give us courage to respond. Give us courage to respond, Father, in worship, in holiness, in repentance. God, you are so, so much more beautiful than anything we could ever create or do on our own. Help us to lay ourselves down and take courage and be the church. It's in Christ's name that I pray. Amen.